Hello, and welcome to the Almost Enlightened podcast. I'm your host, Alex Morin, and in today's episode, we're going to channel our energy inward and examine an organ that has the power to transform. But before I do, I'd like to thank you for taking the weekly journey with me, from being a guy that had lost my passion for life to realizing that it was time to learn and grow. I have rediscovered that passion and am consumed today by a desire to learn, to grow, and to share my journey with so many of you as you make the journey yourselves. Hey, don't forget to sign up for my weekly newsletter at www.almostenlightened.life, where I'll share the inside scoop on the inspiration behind many of my discoveries and many of these episodes. So let's get this particular one rocking. One of the things I've been working on over the past year or so has been an attempt to open up my heart. You see, for decades, I honed the skills of the mind without giving much, or any, attention to the power of the heart. This seems to be a pretty common phenomenon I'm learning, oftentimes presenting most amongst men, but certainly not all men, and also seen in women. How this happened to me, I haven't the slightest idea. And believe me, I've tried to go back in time and figure out when this began. But for the life of me, I'm unable to put my finger on it. So rather than beat myself up and search for the fork in the road in which that fateful decision to follow my brain may have been made, I reckon it'd be a good idea to simply do the work I want to accomplish. So let's talk about the heart today. Ironically, or perhaps fittingly, my family has a history of heart disease. My father passed away at the age of 49 of a massive heart attack. His dad also passed away from a heart attack, as did my grandfather on my mom's side. In fact, I never had a chance to meet either of those grandparents because they passed away before I was born. Talk about crappy genes, huh? Well, this would explain why I've been fanatical over the years about diet and exercise, trying everything from nine years of vegetarianism to veganism to no-fried foods, and ultimately settling upon a mindful diet these days. But while I saw the heart as a muscle that needed to be exercised in order to keep healthy, I had no idea about some of the other ways of using the heart. And that's what I'm keen to tackle today. Similar to what we were looking at in the last week's episode when it comes to interconnectivity, I'm curious about discovering how the heart connects with other parts of the body and even how it may connect with the outside world. So why don't we have some fun and explore the beauty that is the human heart? Not too long ago, I was doing some research for this episode to validate some of the claims that I've been hearing about in various documentaries. And as it turns out, a lot of what I've been learning is indeed backed up by recent scientific discoveries. So let's begin with the biggest one. Did you know that the heart has its own brain, or what scientists are calling its own intrinsic cardiac nervous system? I didn't know that. I was taught in biology class that the heart is a pump that feeds blood, oxygen, and nutrients to all parts of the body. And while that's true, there appears to be so much more to the heart than just that. In fact, in 1991, a doctor by the name of Dr. Armour discovered something fascinating. But before I tell you about that discovery, I want to say that I find this doctor's name to be so ironically fitting. Armour, spelled the British way, or the Canadian way because I'm Canadian, is a covering that protects an object from harm or damage. And since we're talking about the heart, 
I wonder if the heart is indeed an organ that's protecting something of tremendous value. Hmm. Spoiler alert here. More on that later. And then, just for fun, if you were to remove the first R from Armour's name, you'd be left with the French word amour, which means love, and is often associated with the heart. Kind of a fun detour, right? But let's get back to that discovery. Dr. Armour discovered that the heart brain, in quotations, is made up of neurons, transmitters, proteins, and various support cells that allow it to act independently of the cranial brain. So tell us what that means, Alex. Okay, I'm going to do just that, and I'm going to do it by telling you the story of an eight-year-old heart transplant recipient. Heart transplants, although pretty complex, have become fairly routine these days with some 5,000-plus transplants per year occurring around the world. Now, it's been well-documented and well-researched that many recipients of a transplanted heart have recounted stories of acquiring new preferences, memories, and traits that are consistent with the preferences, memories, and traits of their heart donors. In one fairly notorious case, an 8-year-old girl was given the heart of a murdered 10-year-old girl. After the successful transplant, the 8-year-old began experiencing such terrible nightmares that her mother eventually brought her to a psychiatrist. The nightmares entailed the recollection of running through the woods and ultimately being assaulted and murdered. The psychiatrist believed the nightmares to be so vivid and lifelike that the police were involved. The eight-year-old was able to recount details of the nightmare that included the time of the incident, the place it occurred, a description of the murderer, the clothes that the murderer was wearing, the weapon, and so forth. Given that the murder occurred in a town that wasn't too sizable, composite drawings of the murderer in the nightmares were provided based on the information from the eight-year-old girl. And guess what? A suspect was apprehended. Upon questioning, the suspect admitted to the murder and he was convicted. Could that be a coincidence? Well, I'm not too sure about that, but it would seem that this isn't the only incident in which the recipient of a transplanted heart began experiencing the emotions and memories of the donor. Now that really makes you wonder, doesn't it? The evidence I'm laying out, one, the discovery that the heart has its own mini-brain, and two, that there appears to be memories and emotions attached to the heart points to the potential conclusion that the heart is much more than a pump. In fact, it might be equally as important in determining our actions and our results as we once thought were only the domain of the brain. Let's dive a little deeper into the heart. Did you know that the heart communicates with the brain in four different ways? One, through neurological communication, meaning that the communication happens through the transmission of nerve impulses. Two, through biophysical communication, meaning through pressure waves. Three, through biochemical communication, meaning through hormones and neurotransmitters. And four, through energetic communication, meaning through electromagnetic fields. Oh, and as a side note, I'll bet you didn't know that the heart generates 5,000 times more powerful and electromagnetic signal than the brain does. That's pretty cool, huh? Again, these are the four ways that the heart is communicating with the brain. What's fascinating is that while the brain controls the heart through the sympathetic and parasympathetic branches of the autonomic nervous system, it may well be the heart that's telling the brain how it should be functioning. 
In reality, it's probably more like a two-way street, but this newfound knowledge of the heart's little brain is compelling doctors and scientists to reconsider the nature of the relationship between these two organs. All right, that's enough science for now. Getting back to the first part of today's episode, I told you that I'm intent on opening up my heart. I'm keen to do so because I'm coming to understand that my brain is filled with programs that don't allow me to reach my full potential. And we've talked about those programs before and labeled them as paradigms. Hey, perhaps I come from a long line of intellectuals that never really use their hearts, and that's why I've sucked at using mine. Or perhaps I shut my heart off to protect myself against pain or suffering. Whatever the case, my brain has taken me so far, but I want to go further. I realize that as much studying as I can do, as much knowledge as I can accumulate, I need to feel life. Thinking about things tends to take me out of the moment, whereas feeling things makes me part of the moment. You know those cells I was just talking about in which memories seem to be stored, resulting in the transference of memories to heart transplant recipients? What if the heart was the place in which experiential memory was stored, and that was the true essence of the soul? What if the armor I was joking about earlier is indeed the heart that simply protects the soul? Now, I might be a million miles off the mark, but it's a really interesting thought to entertain, isn't it? The ancient Egyptians had a fascination of the heart and recognized it both in its physical and metaphysical form. In fact, according to Egyptologist Sir William Budge, the ancient Egyptians saw the heart as the source of life and being. While the anatomical heart was known as Hati, H-A-T-Y, the metaphysical name for the heart was Ib, spelt I-B. The Egyptians believed that the Ib embodied thought, intelligence, memory, wisdom, bravery, sadness, and love. And I find that fascinating given what we're learning today, some few thousand years later, about the heart. But here's another interesting revelation. In Egyptian mythology, the Ib came into existence at the moment of conception with a single drop of blood from the mother's heart. Also, and I love this part, the Ib survived physical death. Ha, wow. Now, I'm really starting to ponder what the heart is truly all about. But if we continue following the path of history to ancient Greece, the Grecians understood that the heart was an organ that pumped blood throughout the body. This was espoused by both Erisistratus and Plato. But then, interestingly, Aristotle, one of my favorite philosophers, had the viewpoint that the heart was the house of thought and soul. Now, all of that is definitely cool, but it isn't necessarily supported by modern-day medicine. So let's have some fun and see where the heart takes us. For the next part of this discussion, I'd like to talk about a subject that's the source of much internal debate for me. We're going to take a look at social media. And oh boy, for those of you that know me, I've had some pretty strong opinions on social media since its inception, and I'm about to eat some crow. Well, while there was a really long period of time in which I refused to engage in it, I've since realized the error of my ways. And don't worry, I'll bring this story right back to the heart eventually. You see, my mistake was born out of ignorance and a little bit of arrogance. 
My recent discovery is that social media can be a place where genuine connections, meaningful revelations, and sincere dialogue occurs. As the COVID pandemic forced so many of us to quarantine indoors and lose physical connection with our friends, a dear friend of mine told me that everyone these days is hanging out on social media. I found that kind of interesting and didn't give it too much thought for a while. But then as I was investigating interesting ways of promoting my business, it made some sense to begin engaging on social media. And I discovered something that everyone except for me already knew. That social media isn't only about posting pictures of your workout. In fact, it's a place to express yourself, much like a book or a journal was many years ago. And what, may I ask, do we do when we like someone's post? Yeah, that's right. We like it most often with, yes, a heart. Now, just this morning, I was reading a friend's post about the passing of their family dog, and I felt the pain. And I felt the love. Can you believe it? Actually, you probably can because you know social media so much better than I do. But my realization is that social media can be as adept at connecting true emotion as it is at being the modern day nightclub. So to all those people that I've chastised over the years for being slaves to social media, I apologize. As I continue this journey of heart opening, I'm stumbling upon a lot of realizations. One of those realizations is that emotions felt in the heart are strong. For someone like me that had such a closed heart for so long, finally feeling emotion is something that's quite overwhelming, actually. On many occasions, I'm so unused to feeling so much that I don't know how to process what I'm feeling. And as a result, I sometimes revert to my old patterns and just shut the heart off, only to realize that I'm making a mistake. But then I'll open it back up, and if it's a challenge I'm dealing with, it probably takes me infinitely longer than the average person, but I then process my feelings, learn from them, and then absorb the experience and add it to who I am. And I'm going to tell you something, this is tough work. In fact, it may actually be the hardest work I've ever done, causing me to feel bipolar some days, and I have never felt that way before. But you know what? I'm actually grateful for these feelings because every time I meet my emotions, I'm seeing myself and consequently the world from a new perspective. And I want to emphasize that this is tough work, at least for me. And it's not for the faint of heart. And boy, that expression takes on a new meaning for me these days. Nevertheless, I think it's necessary work if you're someone that recognizes that you've been shielding your heart with heavy armor. Before we call it an episode, I want to address something that I've been hearing a lot about lately. And that's the notion of coherence. Coherence, as defined by Cambridge Dictionary, is the situation when the parts of something fit together in a natural or reasonable way. In other words, integration, connection, balance, or harmony. Studies have shown that when we practice gratitude, appreciation, compassion, and love, our heart's rhythmic oscillations become more coherent. And the opposite is also true. When we're feeling anger, stress, fear, or anxiety, our heart's oscillations become much more erratic and incoherent. So I'll ask you, which would you prefer? 
What some researchers and scientists are doing these days is studying the relationship between the heart and the brain. And what they're discovering, and this is a quote from the HeartMath Institute, is that different patterns of heart activity, which accompany different emotional states, have distinct effects on cognitive and emotional function. That is interesting, isn't it? So essentially, when you're stressed or in a high state of anxiety, you are inhibited from using higher cognitive functions, whereas when you're employing positive emotions like the ones we discussed earlier, you're facilitating the use of your cognitive functions. The conclusion, and I'll quote the HeartMath Institute one more time, is that learning to generate increased heart rhythm coherence by sustaining positive emotions not only benefits the entire body, but also profoundly affects how we perceive, think, feel, and perform. And I think we're on to something here, my friends. And just for fun, and because I'm in the mood, let's be silly and look at some of the most common heart expressions. How about heart and soul? As in, she's the heart and soul of our team. Do you find it as interesting as I do that the soul and the heart are inextricably linked in that saying? Or how about an expression that I often use to describe my very own journey, which is, I am following my heart. Or how about to have a heart-to-heart with someone? This means a real conversation, and it actually implies that it's less about the brain, but more about connecting through emotion. Or what about to have your heart set on something? I really like that one because it implies that the heart moves us towards our destination, as opposed to the common thought that we do that with our brains. Or how about knowing something by heart? Why don't we know it by brain? I don't know, but you tell me. In the end, I think we've built a pretty compelling case that the heart is much, much more than a pump. In continuing to open my heart and encouraging others to do so as well, I can feel a world in which coherence and harmony are much easier to come by. So whether you cross it, you carry it, hold it, follow it, fill it up, or wear it on your sleeve, let's honor our hearts and allow them to march to the beat of their very own drums. Hey, I'll talk to you next week. And until then, know that I appreciate you. Hold up. 